this is a time of year where uh, we really kind of feel that uh, unmet expectation, that disappointment. Um, it's the holiday season, and for some reason, that just becomes more magnified this time of year. Hey, I want to say, um, just your second time you've heard it, but uh, Merry Christmas, everyone. Hope you're doing well, and uh, I'm glad that you're here today. Thanks for joining us online, those of you who are joining us online, and uh, if we have anybody on the backstage patio, I believe we do, so I'm glad that you guys are joining us uh, that way as well. This is the time of year where we have these expectations, we have these thoughts in mind, maybe some things come up in our lives this time of year, and for whatever reason, sometimes this can be the most disappointing time of year, even though it's supposed to be the time of year where we focus so much on God saving the world from our sins by sending His Son. Sometimes the disappointment and the unmet expectations can just incredibly overwhelm us. Two years before I was born, um, in 1971, there was a single song that was released about Christmas and uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was 1971, um, you know, two years before I was born, you can do the math, and I uh, see how old I am. Anyway, it was a single song that was written and released, and it ended up becoming one of the most recognized Christmas songs of all times. Uh, I heard it the first time, probably when I was like in high school, when I was working at Eddie Bauer, and they had Muzak. Do any of you know what Muzak is? Do you remember Muzak? Some of you know what Muzak is? There's like three of us that are old enough to know what Muzak is. Muzak is the music that like back in the 80s and 90s, they would have playing everywhere. Now it's just Spotify, I'm sure, right? So anyway, it was Muzak back then. And they would have on, uh, you know, wherever you were in public, just, you know, songs playing, just music playing. And at Christmas time, you'd hear Christmas music. And I heard this song over and over and over again, and I used to sing to it. I'm not going to do that to you this morning, um, but I used to sing kind of along to it because there was a choir in the background, and it sounded great. And I never really looked at the words to this very famous song because the words would have caused me to maybe not sing it because it is an extraordinarily depressing song about Christmas. You probably know who the author of this uh, was, uh, and some of you would attribute it to a musical group of that era, but it was actually written by one uh, and his wife. If you don't know who that is now, uh, maybe you were born way before 2000. Anyway, listen to some of the words to this song that was entitled, well, we know it as So This Is Christmas. Listen to this. So this is Christmas, and what have you done? Another year over, and a new one just begun, and so this is Christmas. You guys know what song I'm talking about? All right, I'm going to read some more of the words to you. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing it. And so this is Christmas. You got the choir in the background. Ooh, anyway, uh, for weak and the strong, for rich and the poor ones, the war is so long. Do any of you know who wrote this song? Yes, John Lennon and uh, Yoko Ono wrote this song, and they wrote it as part of their protest against the war. And it is a horribly depressing song. The, The lyrics are just incredibly just dripping with disappointment and just kind of blah, so this is Christmas, whatever. And they wrote it as a protest against the war, the, uh, the Vietnam War. And this was the era that I was born into. And I tell my kids all the time, I've told them up until a few years ago, I said 1973 was like the worst year that you could be born into over the past 100 years. I don't have to tell them that anymore. So anyway, I think the last two have eclipsed that one for sure. 
But you know, I think that that song, So This Is Christmas, it kind of capsulizes and it kind of gives us an understanding, maybe, of the human condition over the last two years, doesn't it? I mean, it really does. We, we may not be dealing with a, a war like Vietnam, but we certainly are dealing with a war in our country, a war between different political parties, different ideals, different values. We're dealing with something that was thrust upon us and COVID-19, I'm so sick of hearing about it. I know you are too. And now I hear there's something on the horizon that the first part of it is Omni and I can't remember the rest of it. It's a variant. And I I know enough to know that Omni means like all or all encompassing. And I don't like that, right? I mean, we've been dealing with this for two years. And the reality is, is that we all have been kind of hit with something it's been forced upon us that's changed our lives. And so we come into this time of year and we can kind of do the same thing and just throw our hands up and say, this is Christmas? Is this all it is? Maybe you've been feeling that way. Maybe you have a tendency to feel that way. Maybe you have a tendency to kind of have these high expectations. Maybe you were the one that is like at Thanksgiving just a few days ago, you were so disappointed because you had 50 people that were uh, supposed to be at your house and 49 showed up. And all you could think about was the one who didn't show up, right? I mean, I get it. I've been there before. And we have these disappointments and these expectations that aren't met. And in this series, we're going to be taking a look at four different characters and groups of characters that were there kind of on the scene when Jesus was born. And and here's the thing. Even in Jesus' birth, they were disappointed. Even in in the very nature of who God sent to save the world and how God sent to save the world, they were disappointed And maybe there's good reason for that. Maybe there's not so good good reason for that. But my prayer is over this series that God's Holy Spirit would lead us to learn how to deal with disappointment from a few of these characters and groups of characters. In fact, before we dive in this morning, let's pray and ask God's Holy Spirit to lead us this morning as we take a look at the life of Jesus' adopted father, Joseph. Will you pray with me? Father, I just pray right now in the strong name of Jesus that you would quiet our hearts. Father, that you would bring peace to the chaos that we may be facing in our lives. Whether it's personal, whether it's family, financial, relationships, or whether it's the chaos of what we're facing globally, Father, I pray that you would lead us and guide us. Holy Spirit, would you lead us into wisdom and understanding in your word, to your word, so that we can, in our lives, deal with disappointment and unmet expectations in a better way that glorifies you and keeps us safe. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. So today, we're going to be taking a look at this character that is so important, but sometimes forgotten, or at least kind of placed on the outer skirts of the Christmas story. And his name is Joseph, and he was the adopted father of Jesus. And Joseph was also known as Joseph the carpenter, and I'll talk a little bit about that here in a few minutes. This was the adopted father of Jesus, Jesus' earthly father. And it's interesting because there's not an utterance of him or from him in Scripture. And in fact, we don't know much about him from Scripture except that the Gospels mention Joseph, and they talk about Joseph in the story of the birth of Jesus, being that he was the adopted father. 
And from those accounts and from what we know about the culture of the first century, we can piece together a lot about Joseph. And I think there's a lot for us to learn about Jesus' adopted father. It's interesting. I want to give you a little bit of background so you can understand who this man was and what we do know about him. The first thing I want you to know is, is that he came of the 12 tribes of Israel. He came from the tribe of Judah. And so this meant his ancestry was one that he would have been proud of. If you were born as as a Jewish kid, if you were born as a Jewish baby, you wanted to be from the tribe of Judah. Like this gave him a little bit of an edge. This would have given him a little bit of a future. In fact, he was in the royal line of succession to the throne of Israel. He was in the line to, be, to replace the king of Israel. He was down on the list, but he was in the line of succession. And I want, don't want you to miss this. Joseph not only was in the line of succession, but any children that he would have had and any children that he would have adopted would have also been in the line of succession to be the king of Israel. Not only that, but he was a direct descendant of King David. And if you know anything about King David, and if you know anything about Jewish culture, they talked so much about the forefathers. In fact, we're going to read just in a moment about the fathers um, and, and how important that was. And of course, King David was one of the ones that they looked up to so much and, and, and they, they, they uh, you know, very much highly regarded. And he was a direct descendant of King David. We know that Joseph was a carpenter. But I don't know if you've seen pictures of Israel or maybe you've been to Israel or you've been to the Holy Lands. You know what there aren't many of? There are, I hear some of you saying that. There aren't many trees there. So how could Joseph have been a carpenter in a place that was not like this, where we have trees in abundance? How could he have been a carpenter? Well, his specific uh, 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 carpentry was more of a carpenter of stone. And so he would have been a stone mill worker, essentially. He would have been about 17 to 20 years of of age when he got engaged to marry. More on that in a minute. He would have trained and read and studied the law, the Old Testament law. And he would have done that there in the synagogue. But the difference between him and a lot of leaders in that day and age is that Joseph lived it. He lived it. And you're going to see that in a moment played out. Now, To understand Joseph and understand Mary, who we're going to be looking at uh, in uh, just a couple weeks, we have to understand the culture of the Jewish wedding customs in that day and age. There were three stages, if you will, of a Jewish wedding. And this is so incredibly interesting. The first thing was the betrothal. That was the first stage. And the betrothal would be equivalent to uh, us, uh, our engagement today. They would have exchanged vows. The bride, get this, would have been between 11 and 13 years old, and the groom would have been between about 17 and 20 years old, which I know in our culture is a little strange, but that's the way that they did their things back then. And that the betrothal, this, this was the, the significant part of the legal binding together of the two lives. Today, in today's day and age, we do this actually at the wedding ceremony. But back then, the betrothal or the engagement was the time where they would come together and legally be joined together. And it was significant. It was significant. And it wasn't just symbolic. It was a commitment to life from that point forward. It was the legally coming together of these two lives. This is when they were legally married. They would even exchange wedding vows. But the husband and wife, the bride and the groom, would not consummate their marriage 
nor did they live together. They would enter the second phase of the wedding, of the marriage ceremony, and that is the phase of preparation. And in the phase of preparation, the bride would prepare and she would prepare by having people that would prepare the wedding. But they wouldn't just go out to Amazon and buy everything on Amazon, okay? They would, not because they didn't have it, but uh, they probably would do that today. But they literally put everything together, including the furniture, the food, all the garments that people wore to the wedding would be sewn together. And so there was a long, long, long season of preparing for the wedding feast, But during this time, the groom would have done what every father of the bride wants the groom to do. He would get a what? Job. He would get a job. He would find a skill. Am I right, dads? Like we want our daughters to find husbands who have jobs, okay? That's just the bottom line. And so he would find a job. He would find a skill. He would find a trade. And he would put himself to work learning it. And he would start a business And he would also build a house for he and his new bride. And that's what Joseph did during the time of preparation. And when the time of preparation was over, they would enter the actual wedding feast portion, the third phase of the marriage ceremony, which is the wedding feast. And the wedding feast, man, how many of you like weddings? Raise your hand. How many of you like going to weddings? All right. Uh, How many of you don't like going to weddings? Don't know. Wow, you guys raised your hand. That's terrible of you. Okay. Anyway, if you didn't like weddings, you would not have liked an ancient Jewish wedding because the wedding didn't last an hour or an hour and a half or two hours. It lasted seven days. This was the longest wedding in history. In the, Jew- the Jewish wedding was a long wedding. They would come together and actually the groom would take torches and he would have friends and family and they would go to the bride's home once he was ready to take his bride. And he would take his bride and they would consummate their marriage. But then for the next seven days, everybody would celebrate this new life that came before God. And so there were these different phases of the the marriage ceremony, and it lasted for a long time. And it was also very public in nature. There was a sense of accountability and commitment in the community that they lived by. And the betrothal, the first part of that, was the most important part to kick off the wedding ceremony. Now, with that in mind, with that in mind, understanding that this was a big deal in their, in their custom, it was a big deal in their community, it was a big deal in their culture, I want you to think about that as we read Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. For Joseph, there was a ton of things on the line. The, his reputation was on the line. His future was on the line. And his future was incredibly bright. Check this out, Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man, we're going to come back to this verse a lot, and unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quickly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place 
to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name. Say it with me. Emmanuel, God with us. We just sang about that. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, I've read this a bunch in my life. And there are so many little nuances in just these few verses that mean so much. And I think what we can learn from Joseph today is a lot about disappointment. Because I want you to get this in your mind, that he had so much future potential. We talk so much in our culture about potential and about future possibility and future potential and the fact that we have a future. We talk about it so much But Joseph's story is one where his future was threatened and his future was jeopardized in this moment when he finds out that the one that he was betrothed to, who he had not been with, the marriage had not been consummated, was pregnant with a child. His future, his future at that moment was potentially in jeopardy. I saw a statement this morning that said, behind every strong person, is a story that gave them no choice. It's true, isn't it? Behind every strong person is a story that gave them no choice. And I don't know if you've been in that position before with your future, where you had no choice, where you had everything stacked against you, and maybe someone or a group of people were part of what threatened your future, and that has caused great disappointment or has the potential to cause great disappointment or unmet expectation, but Joseph here, I think we can learn from how he reacted to the potential threat of his future in his life. Let's talk about five ways that you and I can react in a way that is pleasing to God and safe for us when our future is in jeopardy. The first thing that we can do is we can pursue purity today. We can pursue purity today. Joseph pursued purity, and we see it right out of the gates in verse 19. Right out of the gates, it says, And her husband, Mary's husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame. He was already just, and I'm using the word pure because it's a synonym to just. Joseph came into this situation, and he already had a pure heart. He had already worked on his heart. He had let God change his heart. He had let God mold and shape his heart. Even as a young man, he was pure and he was righteous. And here's the thing, church. Here's the thing, Christ follower. I think that sometimes we want to have things come into our lives where we want to deal with it and we want to face disappointment. We want to have unmet expectations met and we want to be able to react to those things and make the wise choice. And and the reality is is that our potential of dealing with that disappointment or that unmet unmet expectation or making that wise decision in the moment has so much to do with what we are doing today with God calling us to righteousness and purity and holiness. And I realize that's not a popular message in today's church. It's not a popular message in today's world. But he is calling you and he's calling me. If we're Christ followers, he's calling us to purity. 1 Peter 1 verses 13 through 16 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action. 
and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So it is written, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Pursue purity today so that you're prepared for disappointment tomorrow. Man, it, it's not easy. I'm admitting to you, it's not easy. It's not easy for any of us in our culture and in our world to pursue righteousness, to pursue purity, to pursue holiness. But if we are followers of God, we are called to be followers of his holiness. And that's going to help you and I. It's going to help us when we're faced with difficulty, when we're faced with disappointment. You know, we live in a world of prevention, don't we? We live in a world where we know, I realize that we know nothing about COVID-19, and COVID-19 has showed us how unbelievably, um, you know, uh, naive we are as humans, but we know a lot about our future lives by science and, and uh, the study of biology and that sort of thing, so much so that, like, you know, economics, everything, we can prepare for the future in so many ways. How many of you have gym memberships? Raise your hand. How many of you have gym memberships? I'm raising my hand. Keep your hands up. Um, keep your hands up if you use your gym membership. No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to do that. Um, <laughs> my hand went down. Anyway, uh, <laughs> We, we, we prepare, at least I do at my age, I go to the gym to prepare for the future. I don't care about the stuff I used to care about when I was younger. I want to prepare for the future. We prepare for the future financially. We prepare, we prepare for our vacation. We put money aside and we plan our vacation and we, we plan so much about our future, but far too, um, too few Christians prepare to have wisdom and discernment and decision-making in the moment when disappointment faces us and it has to do with us preparing for those times, being pure. The second thing that we've got to do, not only should we pursue purity today, but the second thing that we ought to do that Joseph did to, to lead us to that point where we're not disappointed when we deal with disappointment uh, well is refuse retaliation. Refuse retaliation. See, refusing retaliation on those who are threatening our future um, is something that is going to be God-honoring, but it's also going to be safe for us. It's going to be something that protects us. It allows the person that maybe has come in to harm our future or the people have stepped in to harm our future, it, it causes them, when we refuse to retaliate, it causes them to understand maybe a little bit of the mercy and the grace that God has shown us in salvation. See, the problem is, is that the world tells us that if we retaliate, if, that we, uh, if we, uh, you know, as people have revenge or if we can get vengeance, that that will somehow resolve the pain that has been inflicted upon us about our future. And the reality is, the reality is, is that all revenge does, all that vengeance does, is cause us to be even more bitter about that thing that happened. 
Bitterness always follows an act of revenge. And listen, church, I understand that these acts of revenge don't happen like they used to happen, but they can happen in subtle, small comments. They can happen in posts on social media. Am I right? That's where it usually happens. We just want to get back at that person. Joseph had the opportunity to shame Mary when he found out that she was pregnant. Because at that point in time, he didn't know the full story. In verse 19, he didn't know the full story. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man, remember he was just first, he was unwilling to put her to shame. He resolved to divorce her quietly. See, he could have divorced her in a great public way. In fact, that's the way it would have gone during that period of betrothal. That's the way it would have gone. He would have divorced her publicly, and she would have been put in the center of wherever they, they were, and she would have been stoned. That was the law back then. But he chose, in his mind, to divorce her quietly. But God wasn't done with him yet. And so we need to understand that if we're going to be people that deal with disappointment well, if we deal with unmet expectations well, we've got to pursue purity today. We've got to refuse retaliation. And then thirdly, we've got to demonstrate compassion. Not only did Joseph resolve in his mind and in his heart to divorce her quietly, but he struggled with it. We see that in the next verse. Check it out, verse 20. As he considered these things, as he considered these things, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, just kind of put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a second. You've been betrothed, you've made a commitment, you've uh, given vows back and forth to each other in this engagement, and your future is with Mary. And all of a sudden, she shows up, and she's not supposed to be pregnant, and she's pregnant. And, and now you have to decide internally what you're going to do. And he decides that he's going to do the right thing, but God calls him to do something else. And he's got this, this angel that meets him in a dream, God's messenger that meets him in a dream. Can you imagine explaining this to mom and dad and your aunts and uncles? I mean, this is definitely going to be a topic of conversation at Thanksgiving, right? Like, can you look what Joseph's doing? I mean, you know, not only is she pregnant, but now he's hearing from angels, and he's going to marry her? I can't believe he's doing this. But Joseph showed compassion. He showed compassion, and even though his heart was torn, he showed compassion in deciding to divorce her quietly. But he also, this is the fourth thing, he also accepted God's future plan. He accepted God's future plan. Man, plans change, don't they? Plans change. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have been through a tragic situation or a disappointing situation, or, or maybe your career path was going in one direction and everything looked great, and then all of a sudden someone came along and they got the job that you wanted. They got the spouse that you wanted. They have the children that you wanted. They have the career path that you wanted. They have the vocation that you wanted. And God changed your plan. I don't know about you. This was the hardest part for me is to accept that God might have a different future for me. 
when I've got in my mind what I want. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded in verse 24 says. He took his wife more on that in a minute. But I want you to hear today, for those of you who are in this room, for those of you who are watching online, if your future potential has been interrupted, I want you to hear this verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And today you may be here and you're like, man, I, I don't know, I don't understand why my path changed like that, like that. I want you to know that they may not have had your best in mind, but he does. He has your best in mind. He has your best in mind. And our job is to accept that and to trust in him. The writer of Proverbs says, trust in the Lord, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Are you doing today what you set out to do when you started? For those of you who are in your career or maybe post-career, are you, did you do what you set out? To, I was a pre-law major. I wanted to go to law school. My career path changed. And then delusionally, I thought I wanted to be a PGA professional golfer. And if you've played golf with me, you know it was delusional. I, I get it. Like, but we do have dreams. And sometimes those dreams are interrupted, right? Sometimes those dreams are are torn down. Sometimes they're ripped apart. And we have to acknowledge and accept God's future plan in our lives. And finally, we have to do what Joseph did at the end of the day, and that was he followed God's lead. This is another word that's not real popular in church today. It's not real popular in society, and that is obedience. But Joseph, at the end of the day, he obeyed what God told him to do. And it was crazy. It was risky. He, he, by, by choosing to, to do what the angel had come and told him to do, he, he, he accepting her and bringing Mary in and, and, and accepting her as his wife, given the circumstances that no one would have understood in making that decision, he followed God in obedience that was risky in so many ways. Part of the problem is when we're faced with God's new future plan for us, we come right up to the edge of obedience and we just decide it's too risky. We just decide that that one little act of obedience, that one little act of repentance that one little act of being honest, just you and God, and with others who know you well, it's just too risky and we back away from God's plan. At the end of the day, Joseph obeyed God's command. He followed God's lead. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. But look at this, he remains pure, but knew her not until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. 
And here's another little amazing fact, little, you know, uh, kind of like interesting fact that's so vitally important in this story is that at the moment that he, as the adopted father, actually is the moment that he is the potential adopted father, in the moment where he gave Jesus his name, that's the moment in which he adopted him legally in the custom of that day and age. Isn't that awesome? In that moment when Joseph followed God's lead and gave Jesus his name, That was the moment that he became the adopted father of the Savior of the world. Joseph had a lot in front of him, but he acted with courage and he acted with obedience. And I want to close with this verse. It kind of beckons back to the Old Testament. It does beckon back to the Old Testament, to one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament that was faced with going into the promised land as a young leader And he was faced with so many things because Moses had died and the people of Israel had gone right up, right up to the promised land. And then their leader dies and then Joshua becomes the leader and God tells him this, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous for you. You shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and courageous, being very careful to do according to the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. The reason I wanted to read that to you today is because that part where he says, do not move from the right to the left, is Joshua being focused on what God has told him to do and not moving one step away from that. My question to you today is, what's the thing that God's called you to do? Following his lead will help you navigate the possibility of disappointment, the possibility of a future that's been interrupted, an expectation that's not been met in your life, in the lives of others, in your family. What's the one thing that God has asked you to do that you haven't done? My challenge to you today is act in obedience. He's got it. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your understanding, but in all of your ways. Acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Father, today, I pray for those who their future has been interrupted. Their potential is being jeopardized even right now. They've done nothing to deserve it. The choice was made by someone else. And Father, what we've learned from Joseph is how to navigate the difficult waters of disappointment, of unmet expectations. And do it in a way that is pleasing to you, that gives you glory, but it protects us. And Father, in the strong name of Jesus, I pray for each person who's listening to the sound of my voice, whether they're here, out on the backstage patio, or listening at home now or later. And Father, I pray that you would help them walk in obedience to your command. Father, I pray that you would help them to have compassion, to resist retaliating, that they would show the mercy that you showed us to those who have harmed them or potentially are going to harm them. Father, I pray that you would help us, each one of us, 
be pure today so that we can make wise decisions tomorrow. Father, help us to trust in what you're doing with our future lives, to accept your new plan for us, whatever that may be. And Father, most of all, I pray that we would be selfless, kind, and humble, just like Joseph was to Mary. Help us to look around and see the people around us that are in our lives, whether family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, classmates, brothers, sisters, cousins, whatever it may be, aunts and uncles. Father, I pray that you would help us to show great compassion and great kindness. And Father, that we would have the character of Joseph in our lives. God, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to deal with disappointment, to deal with unmet expectations, a way that Joseph potentially did. He had so much to look forward to, so much in his future. God, may we be people who are like Joseph. Thank you so much for your son. Thank you for the season where we get to celebrate the birth of Emmanuel. God with us. Thank you, Father, that you are the one that came, that you sent your son to die for our sins. You rose again three days later. And Father, thank you for eternity with you one day. God, we give this all to you. Help us to walk in courage and obedience with you. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen.